This episode is sponsored by Amazon Publishing. Beauty and the Baller is a spoony, passionate new romance read from Wall Street Journal bestselling author Elsa Madden Mills. When an NFL legend proposes fake dating to a small-town beauty, love sacks them both. The steamy new novel is set in small-town Texas and combines two things Texas does well, romance and football. After a series of tragedies, former NFL quarterback Ronan Smith falls into a pit of grief and bad choices, including a one-night stand with Nova Morgan. Fast forward two years, Nova moves back to Texas, and her neighbor is none other than Ronan, now a beloved football coach. And he doesn't remember her. But things heat up when Ronan realizes Nova is the one who slipped away. Has Nova found her forever baller, or will his past keep them apart? Read Beauty and the Baller, a steamy new romance from best-selling author Ilsa Madden-Mills. Learn more at Amazon.com slash Beauty and the Baller. Hello, hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, where we are going to be talking about some fun romance, romance landia, romance novel, romance, etc. stuff today. I am Jess, and I have the immeasurable resident Velocirita Liberty Hardy with us today. Welcome, welcome. Hello. I'm very excited, which I will say like 800 more times today. <laughs> because this is the first time that we've spoken. We've both been at Book Riot forever. Mm-hmm. And you were the last podcast host to check off my list, like, of my original podcast host that I have guested with. Like, I, we had never done anything together. So when you said that you needed someone to fill in, I was like, yes! Even though I know very little about romance novels. <laughs> and, and by that, I mean, you know, I read, like, one or two a month. Um, my husband's like, this is why people hate you. I'm like, I don't read much <laughs> romance, but I read like one or two a month. And he's like, yeah, this is why people hate you. So I want to talk about romance novels and listen to you talk about them and learn from them. And it's going to be so fun. It is. It's going to be so fun. I am very excited you're here. And honestly, sometimes I read one or two a month, depending on what <laughs> else I have to read. So I think we're about even. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> What is the, what is the day today? I don't even know what day it is anymore. We are recording this on March thirty first. How is it already April? That's I know bananas, bananas. So One of our bananas. coworkers has been out on maternity leave and comes back in April, and it seemed like you know when they said that she was going out, that you know like oh we're not going to talk to her for months, and all of a sudden she's back next week, and I'm like ah what? <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, somebody was like, back on April 4th, that's Monday, by the way. And I was just like, no, no, it's not. That can't be possible. It's wild. So you're listening to this. If you're listening to it on the day it's released, it's April 4th. What? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. So I'm excited to be on this podcast. If you haven't heard my other Book Riot podcast, uh, I do all the books. I'm one of the co-hosts with four other Book Rioters where we talk about new releases, 
and mostly new releases and things that we're excited about, just general bookish enthusiasm. And I do the new books newsletter. I am basically, I feel comfortable calling myself a new release expert. (laughs) I spend most of my time looking at new release information, studying the catalogs, populating our insider's calendar. So, but this is exciting. I try to read a little bit of everything for all the books, but I feel like, you know, romance is, is a genre that I, I don't get to very often. So I, I had some books I wanted to read for this show. You agreed to my my theme, and <laughs> and we're going to do it. But, you know, I had some questions that I wanted to ask you first, if, if you're ready for them. Bring them on. Would that be okay? Yes. Okay. So my first question is one that I think about a lot because uh, many years ago when I worked at an indie bookstore, we had a romance novelist there, and she was talking about Happily Ever Afters. And at that time, I had never heard that, like, especially the big names in romance publishing required a formula that you had to follow. Mm-hmm. It was like, people meet, they fall in love, they break up, they get back together at the end. So when we talk about romance novels on the all the books... Um, occasionally, you know, we'll mention that, like, it's a happily ever after. And because I think it's not as many romance-centered readers, like, people are always like, that's a spoiler! Like, that's a spoiler! <laughs> and, and I'm like, but but I thought everyone knew that, that romance novels were, like, happily ever afters. So I just wanted your thoughts on, like, because I think about it sometimes, like, why do people read romance novels when they know how they're going to end, for the most part? You know, like, they're going to end up together. Like, why do you think people still read them? Absolutely. And I will tell you that I know I read them and I am answering for myself and maybe some people that I've spoken to, but not all of us, Mm -hmm. because of that guarantee. Mm. I can go on a journey with a couple or a group of people and know that even when stuff is happening that they can't possibly make it out of well that they will because it's a romance novel and therefore it has to end in an emotionally satisfying way Mm -hmm. and that emotional satisfaction also includes the main characters ending up in a relationship whatever that may be that's a great point you know it's almost like everything is so heavy in the world you know that you're gonna get happy endings you know because most other books don't end happily at all i find Mm -hmm. that Books that are funny are the things that people ask us for the most, and they seem to be in short supply. And even <laughs> when they're funny, they're, there's so much sadness in them. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's a really good point that you know that you're getting, you know, you're happily ever after. So one of the things I was worried about when I agreed to do the show was that I am a 46-year-old woman, but I was worried that I was going to behave like a nine-year-old and make a lot of stupid double entendres and say that's what she said a lot when we talk about (laughs) the books. But I mean, there are some pretty funny things, and I was just wondering, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you had any, you know, favorite euphemisms or the funniest euphemisms that you've heard for certain things, whether it's sex or body parts or, you know, if there's some that, you know, you always laugh out loud when you hear them. Like, the funny thing is, like, whenever someone asks me this question, my brain automatically thinks of Reginald's quivering member. Um, <laughs> and if you don't get that joke, it is from, it is a 10 Things I Hate About You reference where Miss mm-hmm. Perky, the, the guidance counselor, is writing a romance novel. And at one point, 
Cat, the main character, says, I'll leave you to Reginald's quivering member. And she's like, quivering <laughs> member? I like that. I can quote this movie completely. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so like my brain always goes to kind of that, that kind of universe of the like old school members and not so much package anymore. Um, although that one, that one's funny if like it's referenced seriously in a present day romance because it's like who says package unless you are actually <laughs> receiving something in the mail. Um, but you know that that one, those two are always amusing. And I gotta say, like one word that I feel like is almost the norm now and I have no idea if I ever heard it before I started reading romance novels is please don't make this get us an explicit oh no but it's <laughs> it's cock because it's like that wasn't in like not my repertoire what's the word that wasn't in general use with the people that I hung out with yeah. before I started. so it's like it's one of those things where it's like it still throws me, even though I've read it probably a million times. Yeah. And I mean a million. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. Do you read romance novels in order if you have the ability? Like if there's a series that you want to start and there's more than one book out, do you still read them in order even if you don't have to? Or do you read them in order of which ones interest you the most? Like for me, even when I can read a series and I know that you don't have to have read the other ones to enjoy them or even understand them or they have different characters, mm -hmm. something about my brain is like, you must read them in the published order. So I didn't know like with romance novels, because that's that's one of the great things about them is that, you know, like mystery novels, so often you have to like follow along and there's, mm -hmm. you know... But, and, you know, and so many trilogies these days, but romance novels, like, you could just pick one up, has a whole different character, a whole different place, you know, and I wondered if you still like to read them in order anyway. It varies. Like, I do like to read them in order if I know that there are a bunch out already, um, and I'm really interested in learning, in reading the series altogether, because I know that especially with like friend groups or or siblings or whatever authors will occasionally build on plot so i do like reading them in order but sometimes i'll come across something where it's like i discover the third book and i read that one and it's like ah oh, dang i missed like three two ahead of it and i didn't read the prequel novella or whatever and then sometimes they're like i don't have a whole lot of hard limits, but I do have tropes and stuff that I prefer not to read or just like character traits that make me less interested in a person or mm -hmm. just things that will make me be like, I don't want to read this anymore, but I still like this series. So I might read the first book in a series, decide not to finish it, but still want to keep going. So mm -hmm. when the next one comes out, I'll read that one. But it's been a while since I've like, done a lot of wandering like I think about like the first romance series that I read was Jude Devereaux's Montgomery Brothers I was probably 11 or 12 mm -hmm. and the first I read the fourth one first because that was there and then I read the second one and then I read the third one and then I read the first one because that's how they showed up like that's how they appeared to me in the house because it's not like I was buying them myself I was just picking mm -hmm. them up 
behind my mother. So like, that's the one where I think of where it's like, oh, things make so much more sense now because I have now read them all. <laughs> um, but it's not, it's not a hard and fast rule for me to read them in order, even if they're all out or if they're coming out still in succession as I'm reading them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I, one of the books I'm going to talk about today, I actually, it was the second in a series and, and I was like, should I read the first one? Even though I'm not going to talk about it. My brain was like, <laughs> don't do it. But I, I did, I did do it. So this is exciting. I mean, Yes, I've been reading romance novels, you know, for a while now, but not very long compared to how long I've been reading everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother didn't read them. My mom was a librarian, but it was a very white, very rich town and very snobby, and they didn't carry romance novels at the library. Mm. And so, I mean, and that sounds terrible, right? But like, it was up to the library director, and she didn't want them in the library. So I think maybe we had Barbara Taylor Bradford's, but there were no romance novels at the library. And I know for a fact that they made people feel bad about wanting to read them, you mm-hmm. know, when I was young. And so that's what I grew up around, you know, you know, thinking like, oh, romance novels, you know, you don't get those at the library, you know. And many years ago when I started on Twitter, I think it was I think it was Sarah McLean who I started following and, and I read one of her books and I was like, oh, this is so much fun. <laughs> and, you know, I started reading them. But I feel bad because you're going to have to do like most of the heavy lifting for this show because, you know, compared to you, I know so little about romance tropes, romance novels, which is why I'm here. I'm just going to reiterate that I am excited and ready to learn. So I just wanted to, to say that that's basically the extent of my romance experience with, with books. Well, I am excited for you. And I am, I am always excited to share if I have things to share. There's that, that little bit where it's like, do I have an answer for this that I'm always afraid <laughs> of? Um, so don't throw me any curveballs and we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, before we talk some more Uh, Would you like to hear from a sponsor? Yes, let's. Okay. Today's episode is sponsored by Little Infinite, a lifestyle brand that explores poetry, romance, and self-love. Do you adore a good love story? Discover swoon-worthy book recommendations every week in Little Infinite's romance newsletter. You're sure to get swept off your feet by must-read book recommendations and reviews curated by a former romance buyer for Borders and career book industry professional. Some of Little Infinite's most loved selections include The Love Hypothesis, Neon Gods, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, and many more. From hot and steamy to modern rom-coms, none of the classic tropes are off the table. Add some love to your inbox and sign up for Little Infinite's romance newsletter at littleinfinite.com lovebooks and never miss a happily ever after again. Hooray! We thank them for sponsoring. Yes, we do. So, okay. So two things that I've seen recently that I wanted to ask you about before we start talking about today's trope or subgenre. Um, one, it seems like everyone is losing their mind for the upcoming Mia Hopkins book. I think mm-hmm. maybe you. So I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about her and if you had a, a starting place for her or like maybe like just why is everyone so excited? I feel like <laughs> people are just doing Muppet arms all over the internet for this. Okay, so the third book in Mia Hopkins's Eastside Brewery series, Tanked, was announced. It's coming out relatively soon. And I think either Trisha or I, or maybe both of us, probably both of us, 
if you've listened long enough, have mentioned Thirsty and Trashed, the first two books. And they were just so spectacular. They are novels about people who aren't wealthy, aren't financially secure, um, have problems. At least one of them, no, both of the male protagonists in these books have been to jail. They've recovered from growing up in gang life. They have things that they want to do, goals for themselves. And it's just like the the world that Mia Hopkins has created is so rich. And then we read the first two in the 2010s because we are no longer in the 2010s. How is that? <laughs> and I think everyone has just been waiting for this book for so long, so long in romance years. Because, you know, we were all thrilled when Aaron Morgenstern wrote a second book 10 years later. It was amazing, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really a huge deal that it had been 10 years. Okay, it was a huge deal for those of us who were like, when is she writing a new book? But <laughs> it was, it was, re- it's relatively normal in, um, con- regular contemporary fiction, literary fiction, fantasy, most other genres to go several years without publishing a book. But romance readers, we are ravenous. Mm -hmm. And if it's been more than a year, I want to say, since a book in a series, especially, has come out, like, maybe a new series, it, it doesn't, it, doesn't quite stir up as much delight as the third book in a series about a family that we all love. Um, So with Tanked coming out, everybody is just ready to get the story that we've been waiting for because we got a little hint of this story at the end of Trashed, which I think is part of it. And also just like to go back into this world because Mia Hopkins is an amazing writer and we haven't been able to enjoy that for a few years. Well, that's exciting. Maybe I'll start with that series. I did find it unusual, and I don't know if this is unusual for romance books or just maybe this particular case, but she did the cover reveal last week. Mm-hmm. For a book that comes out in four weeks, which doesn't seem like a lot of time. Like, usually it feels like cover reveals are, like, months in advance. Yeah. I thought that was unusual. I think it varies. And with this situation, I think I might be wrong, but I think the first two were released with an imprint that no longer exists. So another hurdle is the fact that she is definitely self-publishing this one. So oh. a lot of authors do not do cover reveals for books that they're Mm self-publishing until a little closer to their release date because they know that that release date is happening. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. So in that situation, I think that's probably what happened here because some people will will do a cover reveal before they've even, like, written the book, which I can't believe that happens. Wow. these these are people who are really good with their schedules and keeping up, to, <laughs> up with them. Yeah. And that's kind of like the promise, right? Here's the cover for this book that's coming out in eight months. I promise yeah. you it will exist because I've told <laughs> you that I'm going to do it. That must be like great motivation, though. Yeah. You know, like if you're worried about saving face, you have to write that book because mm-hmm. you've already told people it's out there. Although that doesn't always 
you know, happened with everyone, you know, George R. R. Martin. But, you know, it might need some motivation. Uh, so my other question for you before we get started is my next romance read, I think, is going to be Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake because everyone tells me to read this book. It came out a few weeks ago. It's a lesbian romance, has an amazing cover, and everyone I know that has read it has been like, this is the best romance I've read this year. So I was wondering if you had read it, and if not, if, you know, then we can just move on. But I think that's (laughs) going to be next because I was like, how many more people can tell me to read this book? Right? Yeah, I've seen a lot of buzz about it, and I haven't read it. I started it when I got it because I have it. It's on my shelf directly behind me. (laughs) <laughs> but I I have not yet gotten to it because I am a million years behind. But yeah, I've heard a lot of really great things about it. I feel like I've enjoyed Ashley Herring Blake's YA. So mm-hmm. I know, I already know that I will enjoy the writing. And of course, like, lesbian romance with a bookstore involved is going to be something that I'm going to enjoy. I know. So in answer to your question, I haven't read it, but I am very much looking forward to it whenever that happens. (laughs) I think that even if I hadn't heard anything about it, if you put a bunch of romance novels in front of me, like with the illustrated covers, I would immediately pick up the one that had the tattooed ladies on the front. Because Mm. as a tattooed lady, you know, that appeals to me. I'd be like, yes, that one. And that is indeed the cover of this one. One of the women has a full sleeve, so mm. be like, yes. All right. So you want to talk a little bit about today's subject? Yes, indeed. So when in romance listeners, I let Liberty decide what we were going to talk about today because this is, I'm going to call this her show. <laughs> And we decided that we were going to talk about monster romance. And I think I, I don't think Trisha has, I've talked a little bit about it before, as in maybe I've recommended one that I came across, but we haven't really talked really deeply about monster romance, especially its current explosion. (laughs) That's not quite the right word, but it's the one that I could think of right now. Emergence. Let's call it an emergence. Um, So I think this is going to be a great conversation about a very specific, very specific kind of romance. And then we're going to offer you some recs later. So I'm very excited for this. Yeah. I simply based the subject on the fact that a fellow writer had recommended a book on Slack that I was like, ooh, that sounds like fun. And then you're like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I want to make it fit with this one. And then it'll give me an excuse to read this other one. And so that is what I went ahead and did. Just was like, um, yes, I want to read books about monster romance. And then immediately after we decided on it, I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> are people going to be having relations with actual monsters or is this like a transformation kind of thing i was like i should have thought this through i don't know what i'm getting myself into (laughs) and therein lies the big question that we're going to answer today because the answer is 100 percent yes actual (laughs) monsters (laughs) and like that's why 
it's really important to distinguish monster romances from other like fantasy and paranormal because there are there are a lot of fantastical beings in romance there always have been you know we had our vampire period we had our werewolf period uh we had our dragon period we had our phoenix period <laughs> like there are all all of these kinds of supernatural beings you know there are 20,000 retellings of beauty and the beast and i think this emergence of actual beasts as opposed to beasts that can be beastly and then change back into people it's probably born out of my generation's formative years including both the Beauty and the Beast cartoon and the Gargoyles cartoon, but also another thing to talk about later. Um, but because what what we've seen in the supernatural space and the paranormal space is that people could fall in love with creatures as long as they eventually once again became human mm-hmm. and were usually human except in periods where they had to not be human either the full moon required it they had to be violent for something they were cursed they were immortal whatever it was they that was an element of them that was almost separate from their humanity and now we have these monster romances where we can argue These creatures with, you know, humanoid figures and all of that stuff are still capable of loving their usually human, human partner. Like, I haven't seen anything like Shrek where it's like, I love you and then we're both going to be monsters together. It's almost (laughs) always like... Spoiler for a 15-year-old movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's always like monster... It's like, what if Beauty and the Beast happened, but the Beast didn't change at the end? Mm-hmm. Is is what it seems like a lot of these stories that I've I've encountered have been like. But I've only read a few, so please feel free to correct me, Romance Landia, if you feel that that is not correct. So, have you have you read a lot of monster romance? I haven't actually. I've read maybe like six or seven. But I have a lot on my read list. The mm-hmm. problem is I'm always interested in them. So I read a lot about like what they're about. And then I say, oh, I want to read that and add it to the list. And then it gets buried. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, the trials and tribulations of being a book lover. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit about what monster romances are lacking? Well. Which is what everything is lacking. <laughs> Well, for, which is what every which is what romance and books and everything else is lacking, which yes. is any story besides the not mainstream, although that that is also true, but the majority story. Mm-hmm. If you look at monster romance, even in comparison to what we've been seeing in contemporary and historical romance in the past few years, monster romance still lives in a very white, cis-heteronormative universe. There, I like, I, there might be some not straight romances with monsters, but I have not yet read them. I know that there are some written by people who are not straight, 
but mm-hmm. the people in the books are not straight. So that, <laughs> or or are still straight. So um, unless they just don't talk about their interests, um, and of course neurotypicality and all of that stuff. So just it's lacking a broader point of view, I think, mm-hmm. because from what I've read, almost always there is always a woman character and a male presenting character the woman is usually the one who is human the Mm -hmm. male presenting one is some kind of creature (laughs) and i know that that is kind of going to change in the next couple of years because of the finger i have on the pulse of a few authors but Mm -hmm. In the broader sense, that is what I regularly see. If there is more than one monster, they are all also male presenting. So, yeah. And occasionally, the woman is not white, but rarely. Well, we have some some good picks, I think, today. I think we do. And I am looking forward to your thoughts on them. But... First, let's thank one more sponsor. It's time to check out TBR, Book Riot subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. With TBR, you tell our professional book nerds, we call them bibliologists, about your likes and dislikes, whether you want comfort or stretch reads, and of course, what your reading goals are. And then sit back while they comb through your Goodreads account, if you have one, and handpick recommendations and must-reads just for you. TBR offers plans to receive three hardcover books in the mail or three recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget, and the recommendations-only level is available worldwide. After each order, give your bibliologist feedback, Update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. All right. Now that we've done that, and we've we've sort of established what monster romance is, I, I was kind of rambling a little bit about the whole creature, not creature, human... Beast, Beauty and the Beast, Gargoyles, Tentacle Hentai. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) Kind of thing. I know my generation has a lot of of formative stuff that has been (laughs) going into this this monster romance stuff. Let's talk about some of the books that we have read that fall into this category, or that we think fall into this category. We probably do. Listeners, you might have heard me talk about this one before. I honestly don't remember. But Morning Glory Milking Farm by C.M. Nascosta is, I'm going to say, the first actual monster romance that I can say I picked up. And it's very recent. This is something that is... It's on the border because I definitely had read an alien romance before that one, but I don't know if it qualifies as a monster romance. The alien was definitely larger than a human, so maybe. I don't know. We'll talk about that. But Morning Glory Milking Farm by C.M. Nascosta is my first acknowledged monster romance. And this one I picked up because everyone on Twitter was talking about it. 
literally everyone. I couldn't go anywhere without somebody talking about this Minotaur book. And I had to go find it because they were surprised that they went in looking for a bit of fun and ended up not only falling in love with the characters, but being so incredibly warmed by this story about a woman and a minotaur falling in love. So, Morning Glory Milking Farm features a young millennial woman who just needs a new job, and she lives in a universe where there are creatures of all types just sort of in society. There are communities where that are more open to different types of beings being everywhere, and there are communities that aren't. So she ends up getting a job at a milking farm where they milk minotaurs and <laughs> not from udders. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. You, you, get, you get where I'm going with that. And she ends up sort of developing a rapport with one of her clients and things happen. So that's all I'm going to tell you about this book, because you really need the full experience. I will tell you that there are some interesting sex scenes, because they are not the same size creature. Like a human and a minotaur. Very interesting size difference. So just be prepared for that. Be prepared for that with all of these romances, actually. Yeah. Because I cannot think of one that I have read or that I have been told to read that does not involve interesting size difference sexual encounters because I'm not sure if I have heard of a monster romance that does not include sexual encounters. Please tell me about them if you know of them because I'm curious for something that's more just like Beauty and the Beast but romance, not Beauty and the Beast, and they have sex all over the castle. <laughs> Not in the library. <laughs> Especially in the library. Especially in the library. So I am less recommending two books than telling you about the two books that I read because this was like, it was so exciting for me because this was like homework. Like I got to pick <laughs> two books. And so uh, one of our coworkers at Book Riot told me about... This book, she said, you have to read it. It's a bisexual gargoyle romance novel. And I was like, well, that sounds awesome, which is how we hit on this category of monster romances. And I was sort of naive in taking the word romance, like literally thinking it was going to be like these people falling in love. But this one, Deceived by the Gargoyles by Lillian Lark, is actually what I would call its erotica. I would I would say and it had me blushing all over the place. <laughs> it's about a woman. First of all, one thing I noticed when I was reading up on a lot of romance novels, um this one and the other one I'm going to talk about and a lot of them, it seems like a lot of the de the descriptions on the back cover or uh, in the book are told in the first person, which mm -hmm. I find unusual. That's not like something you'd see like when you open literary fiction, you know, it's like you know, Jack went up the hill and Jill came tumbling after. But in this one, it's like, I went up the hill and then Jill came down after me. You know, it's like, it's very interesting <laughs> to me. So in this one, it's about a woman named Grace. She is a curvy librarian. She is also a witch, but she's at odds with her family. Her mother doesn't approve of her life. She doesn't approve of 
of her body. She shames her a lot for her figure. She has uh, boyfriends that shame her for her figure. And she decides to go to a matchmaker. And they set her up with this young man, Elliot. But on their first date, he says to her, you know, I am I- actually you know, something else. And, you know, I'll tell you eventually. Um, and she discovers that Elliot is a gargoyle. And you know, she asks to see him in his gargoyle form, but he's like, no, not yet. And so we find out that Elliot belongs to a gargoyle clan and he has two other mates, two other male presenting gargoyles back in the clan. Um, but he's looking for a mate. He wants to have a family And he and Grace, they certainly are doing all the right things to have a family. And she decides, you know, she she's really into Elliot. And then she meets his clan and she's really looking forward to like having a family and being a part of something. And she moves in and and she partners with his other mates. And there's a lot of sex in this book. I was (laughs) I don't know why I'm so prudish. Um, It's just how I've, I've not read books with a lot of sex in them. For the most part. So I was like reading this like with my hands over my eyes because I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. There are many sex scenes in this book between Grace and Elliot, Elliot and his partners, Grace and, and all of Elliot and his partners. In human and gargoyle forms, there are wings flapping and it was it was wild. Mostly um, I just giggled the whole time because <laughs> I was like, Wow. Uh, so, but, like, I found this story compelling and, you know, like, the characters all made sense to me, you know, and their relations with each other, you know, like, wanting to, to be together forever and, like, being, you know, like, found family. Like, I thought that was great. So, there you have it. And there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's still surprising sometimes when you're not expecting there to be quite as much sex in a book and it just happens because yeah. like there I've, I've read some great romances where it's like 95% in and I realize they just kissed. But then there are some that start with sex on the first page. So it's like, there's such a broad range that you just have to go in and take what you get. <laughs> <laughs> and then, cause like, I guess technically like a lot of monster romance counts as erotic romance. And that's romance in which there's still like a, an arc of people meet, they fall in love, they're happily, they're happily together at the end. But sex has something to do with the story. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's like sexy romance, which if you took out the sex scenes, the story would still be the same. And then there's erotic romance where it's like, this has, this has some way of forwarding the plot. So mm-hmm. I don't know if, Grace's sex with Elliot and the various vampire vampires gargoyles have way of ex- of forwarding the plot, but you might have read your first erotic romance. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think there would be many pages left if you took out all the sex scenes. Um, my experience in reading romance novels, like I said, I was a bit naive, thinking it was like, oh, get about love. It seems to be that the ones that I've read before, there's like one sex scene, maybe mm-hmm. two. And not this explicit, and they don't go on for this many pages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. One that you probably might actually have a little bit less sex, but also has a million other 
content notes, so read with care, is The Dragon's Bride by Katie Robert. This is not connected to any of the series she currently has out. It's the first book in a brand new series, and it features a woman, Briar, who we we meet her, and she's she's meeting basically a crossroads demon to sell her soul in order to get away from her abusive husband. And not quite a spoiler, demon dude definitely murders her husband, but it's off page. We don't see that. Um, We just know that she is now a widow, so she can be married off to a dragon in a different realm. Because in this universe, there's the human realm, and there's the demon realm, and there's other realms. So she's taken to the dragon realm to be married to the ruler of the dragons because their power is based on human magic like their or their magic is based on human power whichever way you want to put that so at some point all of these creatures and humans interbred but it's been a few generations and the dragon world is getting weaker because of it so this ruler of the dragons wants a human bride so that they can make baby dragon human creatures um so that's why she's there because she's sold her soul and this is what she's doing and they have to figure out how to live with each other and he is very courteous to her needs and he understands that she got out of a horrible relationship and is being patient with her but there's also the contract to consider So the two of them who are attracted to each other are sort of tiptoeing around each other for a while before they start to get to know each other. And it's very Beauty and the Beastie, I'm not going to lie. Like, there is even a library involved, but there is also sex, eventually. Um, So if you consider the elements of Briar's background that you might have to be prepared for before you go into the story. It's a really great romance of two people like learning who they are and how to be better people while also, you know, having sex in every room in the castle. (laughs) Uh, Before I tell you about my next book, I do want to mention um, in Deceived by the Gargoyles, there is a man who is stalking Grace, he's a gentleman that her mother wants her to date and she has no interest and he does put Grace and her friend in peril uh, at one point. So a content warning for that. Uh, My other pick today is much sillier (laughs) and I enjoyed it more than the first one. They were both fun and I'm glad that I read them, but this one appealed to me more because it was kind of more along like the Terry Pratchett kind of (laughs) Like, humor, vain, if Terry Pratchett wrote books filled with sex. (laughs) This one is called That Time I Got Drunk and Saved a Demon by Kimberly Lemming. This is the first book in the Mead Mishaps series. And so how could I not read this book, first of all? Like, I saw someone on Instagram talking about it. And so this gave me the perfect excuse to pick it up. And it's about a young black woman named Cinnamon. This one, while um, the Gargoyle one is set in present day, this one is a fantasy novel set in, you know, what appears to be medieval times. 
And Cinnamon and her family own a spice farm. And she's in the village and she gets super drunk at this festival. Every 15 years they have this festival in her town because... There is a goddess that they pray to who keeps the demons at bay. And every 15 years, they have to send someone from the village off to fight these demons because the ward that holds them back weakens and they have to go and strengthen it. And so Cinnamon is at this festival. She gets wicked drunk. Her friend who owns a cheese booth, whose name is Bree, everyone is named after the things that they do. (laughs) Cinnamon has brothers and sisters who are named after all kinds of different spices. She goes to leave the festival, and she's stumbling through the woods, and she comes across this demon, or I should say, she comes across this very, very, very tall man who is trapped under a landslide, and she helps free him, and as soon as she does, you know, he basically says, like, really sorry about this, but you better run because I'm going to eat you now. And (laughs) she runs and runs home and he catches her and she fights him off and she hits him with a bunch of cinnamon from the the farm and she gets in the house. Basically what they discover is that uh, the next morning he's there at the house because while she, he was, when he was freed, he grew great big horns and his eyes turned yellow and she knew he was a demon. And she didn't understand how he had gotten past the ward that the, the goddess had had put in place and he shows back up at the house in his non-scary form the next morning and says you know the woman that you thought was a goddess is actually this necromancer who is banished from her village for doing evil magic and you know you're actually helping her perpetrate evil throughout the lands and torture demons and my people you know because she's tricked you into thinking you're making this big sacrifice to a goddess when in fact you're helping her like, keep us all prisoner. And now I discovered that your cinnamon, when you smack me in the face with it, makes me stop being a crazed monster. So you're going to go help me defeat this woman. There are four of her temples that we have to go and destroy this thing. And Cinnamon's like, uh, what? No. And he's like, okay, well, then I'm going to eat your family. And she's like, okay, I'll go. So (laughs) she goes off. And, you know, it's the whole, like kind of Beauty and the Beast thing where at first she's there begrudgingly and, you know, but he's seven feet tall and he burns his clothes off when he gets mad. He he can make balls of fire in his hands and, and he protects her from, you know, bandits on the road and she helps save him from people that would harm him because he's a demon and they just go around and, and they're, you know, they meet up with werewolves and then we find out later that... Um, he has another form, which isn't mentioned in the description, so I don't want to tell you, but he can transform into something else. And, I don't know, it's it's fun. She's very sarcastic, Cinnamon. She's got lots of jokes, and she's pretty funny. And this one is more, it's not, like, as formulaic in that there's no, like, oh, we're going to get together or we're going to break up, you know. It's kind of just, like, halfway through, you know, he decides, like, that he's into her, and she decides that she's into him, and then there's a lot of sex. Not as much as the Gargoyle <laughs> book, but still quite a bit. And, yeah. So I also read this one, like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, through those pages. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it was fun. What I liked about this one, like, if I could find one that had less sex is that this one also has, like, horror and gore and monsters and, like, murder. And I was really digging that. Like, the evil witch is 
like, super creepy and, like, really gross monster things are at her temples, and mm-hmm. there was lots of, like, fighting and swordplay and stabbing and, and all kinds of things. So I would love if anyone had a recommendation for one that was similar to that with a little less sex. Um, <laughs> and by a little, I mean a lot. Then <laughs> I would be really into it. Although, I don't know. If there is a second, and this one just came out last summer, if there was a second one in this, I I might read it. You know, I don't know if it means that it's going to be, like, another Cinnamon and Fallon the Demon, or if it's going to be, like, another creature or her, but it was funny enough that I think I would still probably read it. But, you know, I, I basically mentioned it. I do want to give content warnings that there is uh, gore and violence and uh, bandits on the road threaten to sexually assault Cinnamon all the time, you know, and so Fallon has to bop him on the head and, <laughs> yeah, some peril. Peril's always good. There is a second one. It's called Mistlefoe. <laughs> and I don't know if it's a full-length book or if it's like a novella for the holiday or, you know, wintertime or whatever. Oh, yeah. Look at that. But it it does exist. And uh, I, I, I have a read this one. demon. Ooh. <laughs> and I had so much fun. So I'm literally looking forward to Mistlefoe. I haven't read that one yet. Oh, gosh. I'm so excited. I have one more that I want to mention. Um, And this one definitely in the opposite direction of amount of sex you desire. Um, But it's (laughs) called Sing Me to Sleep. It's by RM Virtues. And I will say this one is also not connected to the series that RM Virtues is more known for. This is a one-off, although he has said that this is part of a different series that he's working on and this one in this one the monster is a um sleep demon like a like he can cause sleep paralysis and then he's supposed to feed off of fear but he like has this visceral connection to the woman in the story and they end up having a whole lot of nightmare sex (laughs) so like, like during nightmares, or it's just so bad it is a nightmare. <laughs> Need, neither, but both. I don't, so, like, okay. So <laughs> let me let me walk a few steps back. So we have the main character whose name I have uh, Penny Penny Penelope, and she can't sleep. She went through a severe trauma that included the death of her father and the invasion of her home and the loss of property. And she just cannot sleep. So she's been trying to do all of these things. And um, finally, she decides to take familial advice and try something to help her sleep. And when she sleeps, she sees a creature in the corner and they have an immediate sexy time connection although they don't actually have like actual sex because it's just in her dreams and they slowly get to know more about each other in her dreams while also having sex which includes his prehensile tail but that's another another thing to talk about at another time Um, (laughs) and it's just it's like I went in knowing that Arm Virtues writes a lot of sex. Like, he is definitely an erotic romance author. I don't think you can take any of his stories and say that the sex in them could be taken out and it it usually moves forward the plot. But this is like 
It's not a long book. And much like your Gargoyles book, I don't think there would be a whole lot left without it. (laughs) But, like, even during the sex scenes, there is story being told about both of these people. So it's like, it's a really fascinating book, but also, wow, I was reading this in public. And I was just like, I gotta go outside. It's getting really hot in here. And yeah, it's just, it's like... It's like so compelling and you kind of want to know how on earth is this going to work as a romance? I actually read the last few pages to make sure that it was a romance and not just like erotica where they have lots of great sex and then never see each other again. But it is a romance. There is a resolution to the problem where one of them is a demon from hell and one of them lives in the earthly plane. They figure it out. (laughs) But... It's weirdly, like, really heartwarming, but also incredibly sexy. So, (laughs) I mean, the two are never, you know, mutually exclusive. But it's one of those things where it was like, oh, I had feelings about this. And also, wow. (laughs) But so, yeah, Sing Me to Sleep by (laughs) R.M. I'm glad that you talked about this one because it was one that I had also been considering because... I had heard I had heard it had a sleep demon and I will, you know, gravitate towards anything that reminds me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, sleep demon. Okay. But whew, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that was so yeah. much fun. Yay. Okay. So I think we should stop there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with me while Trisha is somewhere. Between Washington and Washington, don't know where, but somewhere. I hope she's doing well. I hope that this was a fun and enlightening experience for you. Absolutely. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot more than I ever expected to. (laughs) (laughs) It was really fun. And I got to talk to you after all these years. That was very exciting. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am so glad that you reached out because... I am also excited to have been able to talk about you and to talk to you about romance, because that's that's the coolest thing. Yes. For those of you listening, thank you so much for hanging out with us and talking, <laughs> listening to us talk about monsters. Um, thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who has to listen to us talk about monsters <laughs> multiple times, probably. You can always uh, send us your thoughts on Monster Romance, any of the books we talked about, HEAs, anything else. You can email us at whenandromance at bookriot.com or reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Jess is Reading, all one word, and on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. Awesome. If you have a chance, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us and helps us get better. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>